Okay, this is a very, very difficult shear to give. It's part of the series about war and religion. And I'm going to try to tackle a very, very difficult and sensitive issue. And that's the issue of how our tradition, our Masara, our Halacha, but also our Masara, how do we view freeing hostages, what could be called Pidyon Shavuyim, although it's not exactly where we're at right now. It's a very, very difficult year to give. And um, I'm a little bit wary about discussing it because it is such a sensitive issue. It's such a painful issue. The amount of suffering that people have been exposed to and those who have family members, it's unimaginable. And to imagine that over the next couple days, 50 or so will be released and others will remain somehow is, is like turning the knife into a painful, painful incision. It's hard to know where to turn. On the other hand, this is part of the war experience. We're trying to find religious voices, Torah voices, Torah perspectives so that we can experience the war not just as a battle, not just through the news items, but through through our Vodas Hashem, through our religious identity. And I think there are plenty of Shi'urim out there about the halachos of Pityon Shvuyim, both Shi'urim that were given or delivered or written unrelated to this event, although there's been episodes of Pityon Shvuyim over the last 30, 40 years, in particular Gilad Shalit, Nachshon Vaxman, those who remember, um, the various hostages exchanges in the 80s, going back all the way to Entebbe, and I'll try to relate to some of that. But in addition to halachic perspectives, and as I mentioned, they come very short because halachic doesn't really give us clear-cut codes here, as I'll talk about. What are the perspectives? How, do we meant, how are we meant to experience the next couple of days? And what are we meant to think about? And obviously, it's a highly, highly subjective question. But I just want to put some ideas out there for people to, to think about. The obvious answer to what we should be thinking about the next couple of days and what makes this year so difficult is joy for the 50 or 60 families and the people in their lives who will receive their loved ones, their parents, their husbands or wives, their children, their grandchildren. This is happening, and it's very important, Mir Sashem. And independent of all the political discussions, I'm obviously not going to talk about them. I'll refer to them. That's not, you don't, that's not where where my voice is needed to add to the conversation. I don't have any experience or exposure or expertise in political or military decisions. And I think that rabbis who offer their political or military positions should be a little bit um, circumspect and a little bit uh, careful about speaking only within their lanes and within their expertise and moral ideas, religious ideas, uh, halachic ideas, obviously. Um, and you can discuss about all the issues that pertain, but just the simcha of getting our hostages back and reuniting them with their families and saving them from torture and from horrible, horrible fates. So that should cause joy. And some of the ideology that I hope to discuss and the ideas and the perspectives can't be more important than human suffering and human sympathy, and in this case, identifying with the pain of so many families, 240, 15, and at least partially alleviating some of it. So um, before the shear starts before the conversation begins, whatever happens over the next couple of days, and whatever opinions you do or don't take, they should in no way, shape, or form curtail or um, limit 
the joy and the simcha you feel for the people whose pain has been alleviated. To a degree, we're all one people. So 50 people are being released, 50, 60. So at least 50, 60 are being released. Number two, what makes this year so difficult is obviously whenever you ask how to navigate an experience, you first go to halacha. And the problem is I'll, I'll go through some of the halacha, some of the basic halachic issues, but it really doesn't apply. It really, there's so many factors that have changed, or at least four or five factors that are different than the classic conversation. But of course, and, and I'm sure many of you have heard halachic discussions or can uh, look up and can Google halacha conversations more thorough than this. But I will discuss some of the basic halachas just in case this is your only access point. And obviously, as people that follow Hashem's world in the Torah, we look to halacha, but the halacha doesn't give us the final word here, obviously. So it's very difficult. We need another compass. We need another navigational tool. So it's very, very, very difficult um, to give this conversation or this share, but I think the benefits outweigh the risks. I will just quote Rav Asher Weiss, who gave a shir about this a couple of weeks ago, a halachic shir. And any any responsible post who gives a halachic shir is going to come to the conclusion that there's no cut-and-dry halachic um, demand or mandate in this case of 2023. And that's what Rav Asher's conclusion was. You could, I'm going to try to draw coordinates, give five or six coordinates, and within those coordinates you can triangulate a solution. But it's not a hard and fast psaac. It's just, you know, what are the halachic guidelines and guideposts but Rav Asher, when he gave the shir, he said, you know, we have a Gemara Menachos that says, Kol Osek Behilchas Chatas, Kil Hikriv Chatas, Kol Osek Behilchas Ola, without the Beis Amikdash, we can't offer the famous Korbanos, so at least learning the respective halachas of Chatas and Ola should be in place of the Korban. We ask and we daven to Kedush Baruch Hu that discussing Pidyon Shavuim, either halachos or what are our perspectives, discussing it should be in place of our ability, or not in place of, but should give extra zechus to our efforts to be poda shivuyim and a kodesh baruchu should be poda as mi base avadim mi base ratzchanim mi base son enu mi base mastinenu. Okay, um, obviously let's start with the halacha. Just again a very very basic basic guideline. The Gemara gives on daf Hey, the Mishnah says ein poda nesav shivuyim biyeser mechdei demehem mipnei tikkun haolam. You cannot redeem. Um, captives more than the set amount, more than a reasonable amount. You can't pay outrageous, exorbitant fees because uh, it would be unhealthy for social welfare. Why? So the Gemara has two opinions. One is because it will incentivize, or uh, let me go in order, because it will just exhaust their resources. They'll constantly take, and at a certain point, we'll run out of money for charity, for food, for religious items, for family life, so we have to conserve. It's an, it's an economical position. One is it's to disincentivize captive taking, because if the captors know that they can demand a, a ransom and the king's fee, they'll be incentivized to take more captives that will just goad them to, to more situations of hostage-taking. The Gemara ultimately concludes, this is how the Halacha Paskins, that the real issue of Tikkun Olam is the latter one, that we can't extend ourselves beyond normally accepted rates for redeeming captives because it will incentivize more captive-taking. This is the Gemara Daf Mimhein Gitten, which is pretty straightforward. The Gemara in Dafnun Chesen Gitten talks about a famous case of Rabbi Yishmael ben Elisha, who was taken captive. He became a Kohen Gadol one day, but he was taken captive as a young child in Rome. And Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Yoshua ben Hanania, the famous Rabbi Yoshua, came and saw this beautiful child who was destined for glory, and he said, I will not leave this prison until I redeem him, even if it takes all the money in the world. And it creates a contradiction, because you're not supposed to redeem someone for more than the requisite value. 
The Rishonim offer three answers, and I'll talk about two of them, and later I'll reference the third. Tosfos provides two answers, two primary answers. One is in a case of sakanas nefashos, a case of a reasonable likelihood of death, then all barriers are lifted, and we can redeem someone, even if it means paying an exorbitant fund. And Rabbi Yoshua was afraid that this young boy who would one day become Rabbi Shmuel Ben Elisha the Kohen Gadol would be killed. The second allowance is if the child or the person in this case, person or the child in this case, is a Talmud Chacham or a Muflag Batara, because that presumably provides a public service for the Jewish people, not just his own personal freedom. That a Talmud Chacham, like the second position in Tosfos, does create an allowance to redeem more than the typical going rate, so to speak. So if the person is a Talmud Chacham, and I'll talk about the celebrated case of the Marim Rottenberg, the halach is we can be mekel and extend ourselves beyond natural, reasonable fees. There was a lively debate throughout the generations, throughout the centuries. What happens if it's not a Talmud Chacham Muflag by any stretch of the imagination, even if you flex those definitions, but there is a likelihood of death, this Akhanis Afashos. Can we also apply what is effectively the first heter of Tosfos? Shulchan Aruch and the Ramam say no, but obviously in conditions in which there's great need, so that other position in Tosfos, which isn't quoted, becomes something, as we say, that we can rely upon. This is a quick, quick summary, very brief summary of the halachic issues. As I said before, I'm sure, I'm sure there are plenty of shiram out there that are more extensive. My purpose of this discussion is not to provide the halachas, but you can't start the conversation, obviously, without at least acknowledging the halachas. Obviously, as everyone knows, <laughs> I guess I say this again and again, this is something which all poskim have said forever, even not in this case. Ravaj uh, Yosef applied that when he was asked the question about the Entebbe raid when he got together with certain Rabbanim. Um, even then, obviously, this case is so much different. Number one, we're not just exchanging money, but we're exchanging terrorists, and these terrorists will lead to more bloodshed and more war and more suffering. So it's one thing to apply a there where you just, uh, money is money, money is recoverable, and money comes and money goes. But if you're freeing terrorists, will will per- perpetrate future murder and future killing and future damage. That, in fact, was something which was applied when Rav Hutner, Zechron al-Levracha, Zechazadik was taken captive in 1974, I think it was, on a kidnapped, um, he kidnapped, hijacked plane. So many of his Talmidim wanted to, he wasn't the only one taking captive, many of his Talmidim wanted to collect money to redeem him based on the Psaq that Tamachacham Muflag, which Rafutner certainly qualifies as, you're allowed to spend all the money in the world. And they were told not to, in the Ember Hashem, he was rescued, they were told not to because you are um, giving money to murderers and terrorists, and these murderers and terrorists will then use that money. So if you're not supposed to give excess money to terrorists to redeem a hostage, you should certainly not release those terrorists. Reminds me of a very famous, famous, again, infamous story to the middle of the war, the Nazis, Yimach Shemam Vizichram, the Nazis offered the following deal to a Jew in Budapest. I think his name was Brand. They offered the deal that we'll give you a million Jews, we'll save a million Jews from gas chambers, if you deliver, I think it was tanks and some food and material and whatever armaments. And of course, the Allies didn't allow it. But um, again, it's an interesting proposition because a million Jews are a million Jews, but you're supporting the Nazi efforts to continue. And suddenly it's something that weighs heavily on our hearts just uh, outside of the halachic orbit. What are the connotations of this temporary ceasefire, this five-day ceasefire? What will it be used? Will it lead to more bloodshed, chas more suffering of our soldiers? But... You simply can't apply the Gemara, the Psaq Halacha, that 
in a case of Sakana Sefashos, or the case of Tamachat, let's even say we rely on the heter of Sakana Sefashos, they're going to give all the money in the world here, we're releasing terrorists and murderers with blood on their hands. Um, on the other hand, um, as everyone knows, it's a boost to national morale to release soldiers who've been taken into captivity. Soldiers now know that they will um, be released and be redeemed, and they'll fight with greater commitment. Although many soldiers during the Gilad Shalit exchange to the opposite way, that knowing that their being taken captive would lead to the release of more murderers, they don't want to be redeemed. They'd rather be left or they'd rather be, be not sought. And so the morale question is difficult, but again, that was an issue raised about 10 years ago when Gilad Shalit was released. I believe that the morale issue in 2023 probably swings toward releasing hostages. Our people need a boost of morale. We've had a horrible six or seven weeks. Just seeing 50 out of the 250 hostages being released, reunited with the families, hugging and kissing, I think we'll do a lot for the people. These are just the factors that I would say thwart any simple halachic mapping. Um, number three, these are not just um, people that are, are being held captive, the people being exposed to torture, horrible, horrible, unthinkable. Just think about everything that happened October 7th. Now again, it's in Hamas's, Yimach Shemam's best interest to try to keep them healthy because they're cards and they're pawns, but it's hard to imagine that these are not just captives being held in some fortress in France in the 13th century, like the Mahrami Rottenberg. These are very, very different. Um, basically, to summarize, and I'll talk about one final point, to summarize, we have absolutely no Masara as to how to handle anything even remotely like the case we're following, and certainly not the exact case, namely even before October 7th. When you look at all the previous prisoner exchanges, the Gilad Shalit, the exchanges in the 80s, the, whatever they were, all these hostage negotiations are being performed under a sovereign state with broader, broader concerns and interests and motivations and army morale and national state security and so many, many international diplomacy and so many factors. Shlomo HaMelech didn't write down halachas about this. And really, the last time we had a sovereign state maintaining a, an independent Jewish state was in the days of Shlomo and David. In the second base on Mikdash, we didn't have full sovereignty we were constantly, by the time the Tanayim and the Marim came around, we were subjected to foreign rule and foreign influence. And you have to go back to the first base on Mikdash. So we have a really big vacuum in our Masara, a really gaping hole. This is why I'm trying to give Shiro one of the general topics. We don't have a Masara about war in general, so at least to start thinking about it and talking about it. And of course, the biggest issue is because the entire frame of reference of the Gemara is irrelevant. The Gemara says, you can redeem them, ad kedei dimehem, you can't redeem them more than the going rate. Okay, that Gemara is talking about, as I'll mention, throughout most of history, <laughs> there was an active slave market. Unfortunately, it's a very lively business of hostage-taking. So it was so frequent, and it was such an international trade, that there was a going price for a 50-year-old male slave or a 25-year-old woman slave. So you'd say, well, if that's what they want, we'll throw a little extra in. But now we're not talking about pricing and value. It's a completely... So even if you felt, let's take the Gemara and Gitin and simply apply a one-to-one overlay to our situation, how do you begin to figure Kadei Demeim? It's, it's, it's completely, complete. You can use this, you can employ this as a general guidelines, general goalposts, what's a normal, normally in prisoner exchanges is one-to-one, but nothing is normal about our situation. So just please, I hear sometimes just between the cracks, I'm not an avid listener to all the... The, the Torah out there and the Shiurim and the recording, but just be careful about someone who gives a Shiur and says, 
This is what the halacha says about the prisoner exchange, about the hostage exchange. There's nothing that halacha says definitively <coughs> about certainly the situation of 2023. And um, we just have to um, and, 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 and trust that whatever position our politicians and our military generals believe is best suited for us, that's clearly within halachic validity. What I'd like to talk about for this year is not the halachic perspectives, but the how how we should think about it. And I want to make, I think, three points. Sometimes I veer off in a couple more ideas, but basically three points. Okay. Um, obviously, we, pl- we place a high premium in Pidyon Shavuyim. You see this with Avraham. One person is taken captive, Lot, and he turns the world upside down. He enters the war, and there reports about it. And obviously, there's a favorable report of Avraham and because he's so concerned with one captive, the entire world war is terminated and many men and lives are saved. The same issue in Parshas Chukas, where Aharon has just died and we've lost our iron dome, our shield of Anani Kavod, and Melech Arad, who may be a Malik disguised as Melech Kanani, comes and attacks us and they take one captive and the Jewish people rally to redeem that captive. And again, just to put those pictures and those images alongside of what we're suffering. One versus 240, and that wasn't a baby or a grandmother or a Holocaust survivor. It's just... So obviously we're, we're thrilled that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is allowing this to happen, and that's not as if we understand the overall picture, but just like in Parshas Vayetzeh, Leah thanks Hashem for what she has, Hashem, even though she doesn't have everything she wants, we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for what we were given. Um, I, I want to go back to that steer in the Gemara. The Gemara has a contradiction between Daf Memhei and Gitin, page 45, in which we don't extend ourselves and pay exorbitant resources, versus the Gemara Nunchas, which talks about Rabbi Yeshua, who was visiting a prison in Rome, saw a little child there, said, I'm going to redeem him for all the money in the world, and that child became... So the Ramban's answer in Gitin is that after the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, then all bets are off. Namely, we can redeem people more than their value, which would be a tremendous heter. Uh, now, can you extend it through Agalus or only in the immediate aftermath of the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, where there was so much hostage taking and captive taking and ransoming? Presumably, the Ramban is saying the whole limitation against extending resources is not to incentivize ca- hostage taking. What if they'll do it anyway? What if that's where they're in, the, in the aftermath of the Beis Hamikdash? Wasn't just a financial incentive; there was just to destroy the Jewish people, to eliminate us, to take us into captivity. With that Ramban, which is a halachic statement, highlights a more general issue. And that more general issue is that when we think about our Gullahs over the last 2,000 years and how we've suffered and the darkness and the bleakness and the persecution, we think about the following. We think about crusades. We think about holocausts. We think about Chalmaniki rebellions. We think about blood libels. We think about forced conversion. We think about exportation. We think about... You know, at all the normal. What we don't often think about is how vulnerable we were to hostage-taking, to taking Jews captive. Now, as I said before, taking people captive and ransoming them, unfortunately, was a trade. Pirates profited off that trade. It was an actual trade. You'd go from port to port and sell your slaves, and you take additional slaves. Or when you conquered a kingdom, you take the, sub, the subjugated citizenry as your slaves, and you'd sell them off. But Jews were always much, much more likely to be taken captive. Sadly and ironically, I think a lot of the reason that Jews didn't migrate to Israel, the big question, 
what happened to the Jewish migration throughout all those years? Why didn't some people come to Israel? Maybe not waves and waves of Aliyah, but why didn't some meager? Part of the answer is they just couldn't get there. In certain cases, it was illegal for Jews to, uh, to board ships. But if you were a Jew and you boarded a ship, you were literally, literally taking your life into your hands because ships were always attacked by pirates. And who do you think the first slaves or hostages to be given to the pirates that they'd leave the rest of the ship alone would be? Throw the Jews overboard. So getting on a ship in Venice and traveling to Israel, getting on a ship in Spain and traveling to Israel was a kind of puzzles. You stayed in Spain as long as you could just to protect yourself. So Jews were always vulnerable. Um, a lot of it, of course, was religiously motivated. And there's a very fine line between profiting and religious motivation, but it's never just binaries of, okay, well, they wanted a profit or they wanted religious. Marami Ruttenberg, classically, in the 13th century, was taken hostage, was taken captive, and a king's ransom was demanded. Famous, famous story. And even though he was a Talmud Chacham and Halacha allowed the extended ransoming, he refused it. He refused to be redeemed. Was that totally profit-driven? It was in the 13th century, a horrible, horrible period to live in France, a disputation of Paris. and So of course they knew that to imprison the greatest Ashkenazi Jewish halachic authority was just another psychological terror, another assault on the Jewish people. So don't think that every time a Jew was taken captive for money, it was, well, we just... There was an element of taking Jews, in particular because Jews were vulnerable, and also because, don't you think the Goyim knew that we're Gomle Chasadim? And that Jewish communities would redeem even foreign strangers that they had no clue about? You could take an Ashkenazi Jew and land in Iraq. And what does an Iraqi Jew know about a Jew from France? He knows one thing. Call Yisrael Arevim, Zelazeh. And I have to redeem this Jew. You know it. I know it. They knew it. And the pirates and the captors knew it. So, Hunting down Jews and taking them captive was open season. No one would protect them. They knew. In fact, in every town, there was a Pidyon Shavuim fund. You were taxed. You had to give the money. And that was the fund that you automatically took from whenever the pirates or the captors would hostage takers would come to town. Everyone knew that these funds were already dedicated and, and gathered for. So, to me, the fact that we are now at the end of our gullus and we're fighting the final battles and the final stages. I want to say this as delicately as I can, because obviously it's horrible, but it, the fact that we're struggling with hostages and we're trying to redeem the hostages and we hope we'll redeem every single hostage, that's been our gullus. That has been the 2,000 years. We don't think people more easily look to pogroms and they say, oh, this is a continuation of what we've had. And now it's a slightly different pogrom because we're fighting back. But you're able to view it in the backdrop of Gullus. And sometimes for people, the hostages are not, because it's in the context of an army and our people and our state. And of course, it's different. And, and to me, the fact that the Marami Ruttenberg was such a infamous case, because it was reflective of the period, and that was one of the worst periods of our Gullus. And I'll say something else, which is also very, very different, but it's, it's somewhat similar. The Balatanya, Yutes Kislev, is coming up next week, was also imprisoned. Now, imprisonment is not exactly the same as being taken hostage, but throughout our gullahs, it was pretty similar because we could be abused. We think of prison as three meals a day and supervision and medical care, but what's the difference between being taken hostage, as the Mary Runberg was, and being falsely imprisoned, as the Balatanya was? They were both subjected to whatever arbitrary abuse 
the prison guards wanted. And that was at the end of the Gullus, that happened at the end of the 18th century, but it was an iconic moment. It was the birth of Hasidus. It was the shift into the modern Jewish world. So the fact that the Marami Rottenberg was in prison in the 13th century in Paris, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe was in prison in um, the Ukraine in the end of the 18th century, it's characteristic of our suffering over the last 2,000 years, part of which included the fact that we were vulnerable and we were gomle chasadim, which I'll talk about in a moment, made us open season. This is something that happened, sadly, with greater frequency than the general population. And now that we're suffering this horrific tragedy, hopefully this is the end of Gullus, and hopefully by defeating Gullus, we have to defeat this terrible monster as well. So that's my first perspective. Write this hostage experience back into Jewish history. Number two, I mentioned before, they took us as hostages and prisoners because they knew how eager and how active we'd be in redeeming people who would otherwise be strangers. Could you imagine just landing somewhere and with a few Christians on your boat and, oh, we have to redeem other Christians? It just doesn't compute. The Rambam lists the halachas of Matnos Aniyim, excuse me, the halachas of Pidyon Shavuim and Matnos Aniyim. It's part of Tzedakah. You get stuck to someone who's hungry and you save someone who's taken captive. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Hamotzi Eschami Beis Avadim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his first act towards our nation was to redeem us from prison. Now again, Mitzrayim is not exactly the same because it wasn't a few hostages, it was the entire population. It's very different when it's an entire population. That's what makes hostages so painful. If I'm just using this example. If all of us would be in Azan, it would be different. It would be horrible, but it would be different. The Holocaust was not hostage-taking. All of us were in prison, together, suffering. It's a different psychological experience. But this is our legacy. And again, this isn't a political statement or military statement. Who knows? And I'll talk about this in the third section. Who knows where this will land, whether it will have favorable impact on the war effort to eliminate the barbarians or not. But one thing is clear. By us taking extra measures to redeem our hostages, we are once again demonstrating that we are a culture of light and they are a culture of darkness. We are people of chesed. They are people of death. We are people who are gomle chasadim. They are people who mutilate and disregard the gift of life that Hashem gave. We are Hashem's Banim, they are Rishayim and Poshim. And think about this as we're paying a steep price, and the prices are always going to be lopsided. We wish they wouldn't be, but they are lopsided because deep down they know we value life, and our one person is worth 50 of theirs, more than 50 of theirs. I wish it weren't true. I wish they would know it, but they wouldn't implement it as policy. But as we go through this week, don't just write this episode back into history, but think about and say it, please, when you daven. I'm trying to give more practical advice as well. At two points in your davening, try to think about this. And I'm going to go backwards. In the first Hallelujah, after Ashrei, Hashem Matir Asirim, Hashem Somech Noflim, Hashem Zokev Kfufim, when we talk about the traits of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, think about this is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's trait, and we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for that trait, and in our Berchus HaShachar Baruch Hashem Matir Asirim, Zakharish Baruch Hu redeems people who are held in captive against their will and their freedom is taken away. And Zakharish Baruch Hu will hopefully continue to redeem our captives. But now we are walking in the path of Hashem. Mahu Rachum, Afata Rachum. 
Ma'u matir asurim, literally from the Gemara, and Shalta Yudalin and Shabbos Kuflamid Gimel. It's a painful price. Hard to know how this will turn out. I don't know how you make these decisions, but micro focus. We're now walking in the way of a Kurdish Baruch. Hu. This is our legacy. This is our heritage. Hashem matir asurim. That's number two. Number three. Really fascinating medrash, which the Rambam quotes. The medrash quotes. Let me find the medrash. It's the Yalkut Shmoni. Let me see if I have it here. Yeah, the Yalkut Shmoni. Parshas B'Shalach. The Vishenigla Yam Kigibur Oser Melchama. The Yamsef Hakadosh Baruch appeared as a warrior. Shemish Melchama. At Har Sinai, when Moshe Davin for Kapara from the Egel, Nigla B'Sinai Kizakin Malei Rachma. Moshe looked like an older person who was merciful. So that could incite paganists to assume that there are two Hashem's, Chas V'Shalom. So therefore, at Har Sinai, Hashem appeared in a way, at a different point in Har Sinai, that would convince you that it's really one being. What's that way? Now, I can't explain this to you. I don't know what this means, but I'll just reference it. At Har Sinai, as described in the end of Mishpatim, Hashem appeared as clear as this sky. Like blue sapphires, like bricks, that's whatever the Pasuk says. What's the language of the Pasuk? Hashem looked like whatever it means, bricks of sapphire and like the white of the sky. Without getting into the details, a very difficult Pesachim, not for now. But somehow the Medrash is aware that Hashem will look like two very, very dichotomous Chas beings because in the one point he wages war. And on the other hand, he's also a Zakein Malei Rachamim. So therefore, there was a third moment in which we saw something that represented Hashem that reminded us that he was integrated. And there's a shout-out in the matters that when we're redeemed, we're able to see the full integration of these two erstwhile contrasting parts of Hashem. We say at Samuel Shemayim Latar. Namely, HaKadosh Baruch has two parts to him, or two midos, let's say, two parts, two midos. One is he's in Ishmael Chama. And that Milchala was evident the Yamsuf and evident in Sefer Shoftim and evident in Malchus Beis David. I'm trying to talk about some of the Nisim that Hashem performed for us in my other series of Shiram Believing Miracles. On the other hand, is Mali Rachamim. For us, it's very hard to imagine the two coinciding. But for Hashem, obviously, He's everything. And in this world, it's sometimes hard for the world around us to see Hashem's Midas Adin and Midas Rachamim as one integrated whole. But when Gula comes and the veil is lifted and the, the, the fogginess fades, we'll see the integration of HaKadosh Baruch Hu Well, if that dichotomy seems to be multiple or divided in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which obviously it isn't, but it's hard for us to see the two together, what about us? That's what we're struggling with right now. We haven't been B'nai Milchama or Anshe Milchama in thousands of years, but now we have to to finish history, to build our land, to defend our land and our people. And again, this isn't the war in Eretz Israel. This war is obviously taking place in Israel, in the streets of London and New York, and it will continue to be that way, and everyone is a soldier. But we're also people who want to create shalom and peace and kindness and mercy and compassion. And the world denies us that title. It can't allow us that title because it's afraid of our challenge. So it has to scorn us and turn us into a hypocrite and paint us as a hypocrite to deflect this moral challenge. But we really do want peace. We really are pro-ceasefire. I'd be very happy if Hamas would say, 
we now recognize your right to live in this country. Let's have a ceasefire, hand over the criminals who committed these terrible acts, and now let's live side by side. I think every single person in Israel would accept that as long as the perpetrators are put to death. So we really do want a ceasefire. And the idiocy of the stooges across the world who hold up ridiculous signs for ceasefire when there's no one to form a ceasefire with. They just want to continue firing on us. And they've made it evident. So it's almost insulting to the intelligence of the people holding up the signs. But we really want both. And we know that one day we will be both. And the world will recognize that we are people who valiantly defended our land and who desperately, desperately want peace and harmony and neighborly relations. And we've proven that time and again by forging neighborly, peaceful relations with those who've accepted us. Those two agendas, which are so hard to integrate, that even in HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who we know is integrated, people will be tempted to think of them as different. Allah has come with B'nai Adam. They are literally colliding this week. Hashem ish Milchama. Milchama says we should not wait. We should continue, continue to attack our enemies. Ad riditam. Ad Chaim Shaola, till they are buried in the ground, literally where they belong. On the other hand, we're people who want Shalom, we're Malay Rachamim. And Malay Rachamim means we have to release the people from bondage. Those two agendas, at least to our eyes, couldn't be any more antithetical and opposing and clashing. Because the five days that we'll give them, and the fuel that we'll give them, and whatever else we'll give them, on behalf of these hostages, will certainly, in theory, thwart and complicate the war effort. And if the war effort was meant to succeed, it should be headlong and relentless and uninterrupted. So look at this next week and all the conflict you're feeling as emblematic and symbolic of the larger dilemma and the larger conundrum we're facing to be Ishmael Chama and also to be Zakin Mali Racham and to follow HaKadosh Baruch Hu, those who meet us of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And ask Hashem and Davin Tashem, like we believe that in you, the two don't contradict. Of course, we know that to be true. Please don't let them contradict on the battlefields of Aza. Please, somehow, let the release of hostages actually serve our war effort and serve our Ishmael Hamas to eliminate Hamas. This dilemma is not incidental. It is built into the end of history. It runs so deep that it's built into theological confusion that people will make about a Kodesh Baruch The Rambam quotes this Medrash, by the way, in Hilchus Deus. Those are the three thoughts I had. Number one, hostage-taking has plagued us for thousands of years. This isn't new. This is old. It's different. The halachic parameters are different. We have a sovereign state. It's different. But at the end of history, we are facing the final phases of Gullus. We've returned to Eretz Yisrael. We're not there yet. And one of the challenges we're facing is how to deal with the fact that, and we thought we were finished because we're Eretz Yisrael, but we're not because we're still facing the final stages. Number two, as painful as it will be this week, and as worrisome, and as much dread as it will create, as horrible as the scenes will be alongside the scenes of joy, horrible, these subhuman monsters being let out of jail, and, and people celebrating uh, the, the delivery of gas to Aza, it's into murderers' hands, and all the loud sword rattling, saber rattling. Oh, now that we have this, you'll see what we'll do to the IDF. Just focus in on the gemilas chasadim that we always have performed, and look inside at the value. Don't look at the headlines. We're being gomle chasadim. We're following in Hakadosh Baruch Hu's footsteps. Hashem in His wake. Hashem matir asurim. Baruch Hashem matir asurim. Number three. 
this conflict between the war and Rahmanus is the conflict, is the dilemma, is the dichotomy that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was quote-unquote worried about that people wouldn't understand the unity of. We're struggling to unify them. We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu when we dive in, please HaKadosh Baruch Hu, take our chesed and our rachamim and allow that to service our milchama. Let's continue to dive in as this week unfolds.